Will you turn with me, please, in the Word of God this morning to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 23. I want to read only two verses from this chapter, Genesis 23, verses 1 and 2. And from these verses, I want to preach on an object of divine grace, an object of divine grace. Genesis 23, verse 1. And Sarah was 127 years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kerjath Arba, the same as Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And may it please the Lord to bless his word to all of our hearts for Christ's sake. Amen. We'll just take a moment to bow for prayer. Father, we do ask of thee now to draw graciously near. We want to hear from thee. In fact, it is imperative for us to hear from thee. Thou God seest me. Thou dost know my need. Thou dost know every need. Thou dost know our thoughts, where we are spiritually, where we stand with thee, the needs that we have, the cares that we have, the fears that we may even have. The Lord knoweth the way that we take. We realize, O oh God, that we're mortals. Time is swiftly coming to an end. It hardly seems now that we've come to the middle or beyond the middle of another year. And Lord, it will soon pass. Soon another year will have come to an end. Another year near eternity. For thy children, a year nearer glory. For those out of Christ, whoever they may be, scattered throughout the world today, a near a year closer to their final destiny, to be cut off from God forever. And so thou hast given to us time to walk with God, time to redeem the time, time to prepare to meet God time to get ourselves right with thee, to enjoy restoration, to enjoy forgiveness, to enjoy peace with God, to enjoy even the rest of the days that we have serving thee as obedient children of God. Thou dost know our needs this day. Come and abide with us and bless us. We ask these things in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen. These two verses before us this morning relate to the life of a woman called Sarah, the woman who married Abraham. And one of the first things that we discover about Sarah in the Bible is found in Genesis chapter 11, verse 30. And the word says, but Sarah was barren. 
And so her barrenness is highlighted here. It's recorded in God's word. This is the divine verdict. I wonder what the divine verdict is on you this morning or on me. Spiritually speaking, as a child of God, is my experience barren? As someone who may yet be unconverted, is this really your condition truly before God this day? The divine verdict is past. He knows where you stand spiritually. He knows your need. He knows your destiny. One of the last things that is mentioned about Sarah in the Bible is that Sarah conceived and bare a son. Genesis chapter 21 verse 2. And that shows that her barrenness was removed. This was due to a divine visitation. The Lord came and opened her womb and gave to her a son. So her barrenness was removed. Now the church has had different times of barrenness down through the years. Up until the time of Pentecost, things were pretty normal. Even prior to the time of the Reformation, the church was going through difficult times in a state of barrenness. Then the Reformation came. It was a divine visitation. Things changed dramatically in Europe, right across the world. When God came down and ended the barrenness, brought life and liberty and joy. Oh, that we might know that change today through grace. The Lord knows where we stand. There's no point of trying to hide anything from him. He knows exactly where our heart is, what's the state of our hearts. He knows where we've been and how we've been and how we've been living. There's nothing unknown to him. Only he can change our barren state into a life of liberty and joy and divine fullness. But in between Genesis chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 1, we have the story of Sarah in chapter 16. Her barrenness is revealing. Because as we open the chapter itself, we're told that she bare no children. Of course, we know that from chapter 11. But then there is a little phrase added. She had a handmaid. And I say that her barrenness was revealing because at 75 years of age, she took matters into her own hands. God had told her husband, Abraham, that he would become the father of a seed. And naturally enough, he assumed it would come through his wife. But she was barren, therefore she could not produce the seed that God had promised so Sarah took things into her own hand when she was 75 years of age and she said unto her husband, I have a handmaid, take her. She's going to plan B now. She's not going according to plan A, God's plan. She uh, has a plan of her own, it's going to be plan B. And she said to Abraham, I'll give you my handmaid to provide a seat and then I will become the mother. I will look after the seat. This was her idea. This was what she planned. This was her decision. She took matters into her own hand. She was 75 years of age, a good-looking woman. Abraham was 10 years her senior, so they resorted to plan B, and they stepped out of the will of God. And as a result of that plan they took, as a result of that move that they made, 
God did not speak to Abraham and his wife for 13 years. Because we're told that Abraham became the father of a child called Ishmael through Hagar, the handmaid from Egypt, when he was 86 years of age. And there's no reference of God speaking to Abraham until chapter 17 and verse 1, when he was 99 years of age. 13 in the Bible is the number of apostasy. Abraham and Sarah took their own plan. They tried to give God a hand to fulfill the purpose of God, but they made a mistake. And as a result of that, there were 13 wasted years. It's easy to live wasted years. Easy to get away from God. It's easy to be barren. It's easy to pretend that we're living right and being right and being the people we profess to be. And yet be barren in our own souls, wasting time, precious time, that we can never reclaim, that can never be reused again for the glory of God. Now, from what I've said here, we realize that Sarah was a woman who had her failures. But the Bible does say that Sarah was an important woman because she was a woman of faith. And she appears in the great roll call of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 as a very prominent woman to be the mother of the nation of Israel. That was a great responsibility. So the point I'm emphasizing is this. She was a woman who had failures. But she was also a woman of faith that God used. Now in these verses before us, she's come to the end of her course. She's come to the end of her journey. She lays down in death. She's buried. Her life is done. It's too late to do anything more. Her life is done. And we want to focus upon these two verses and I have three simple things that I want to share with you. Having said what I have said, keep that in mind. The first thing that I notice here is the length of Sarah's life. She was 107 and 20 years old. Verse 1. She's the only woman in the Bible whose age is specifically stated at the time of death. Now some ladies are very defensive about their ages. They don't like anybody to know. And uh, that may be the case with you. But here the Spirit of God tells us the age of this woman when she died. She was 127 years old. And her burial is the first burial mentioned in the Bible. Because Genesis chapter 23 mentions that word bury and buried a number of times in a burying place. And this is the first grave that we read of in the Bible. It was a cave in the corner of a field. The only real estate that Abraham possessed in the land of Canaan. These are the first mentioned things in the Bible. Her burial and her grave. And we're really attending a funeral here. And the Spirit of God is reminding us that the wages of sin is death. You remember how the book of Genesis begins. It begins with life. It ends with death. 
It begins with God and it ends with a man called Joseph in a coffin. And all the way through we have read of this one dying and that one dying and the Spirit of God is reminding us here this morning afresh again on this beautiful sunny Sunday morning that the wages of sin is death but the gift of God as eternal life. The Old Testament, as you know, ends in a curse. And then you come to the end of the New Testament and the Bible says there's no more curse. Why? Because in the book of Galatians we're told that he, that is Christ, became a curse for us. He died on the cross to remove the curse, to bring his nigh to God and to set us gloriously free. So we are either under the curse of God, under the judgment of God, the wrath of God, or the curse has been laid upon Christ and we're free, we're redeemed, we're fit for heaven and home and for glory. I can't answer that question for you. You alone have to give an account before Almighty God. So she is also the only woman in the Bible whom God spoke to directly, Genesis chapter 18. Remember, when she was standing behind the tent door, was she eavesdropping? Was she earwigging at the door? I don't know. Some commentators say that she was. But God spoke directly to her. And when she laughed, he said, I heard you laughing. And she said, well, I didn't laugh. But God said, you did. God knew where she was. God knew what she did. Oh, I, didn't, I didn't do it. I didn't laugh. You did. God spoke directly to her. So she has this distinction of being the only person that God spoke to directly. But when I read the scriptures, I realize that when she was 65 years of age, she left Haran and became a pilgrim. But before that, obviously, Abraham had heard the voice of God in Ur of the Chaldees. I don't know how what age she was at that time, maybe 60 years of age, I don't know. But I know for sure that when they left Haran, they'd spent some time there until Abraham's father died. It may have been a year or two. Who, who, who can tell? But I do know that Abraham was 75 years of age when he left Haran to go to the land of Canaan. And he was 10 years older than his wife Sarah. So she had been 65 years of age when she became, became a pilgrim. How you might be thinking to yourself, I'm too old to become a pilgrim. Who said so? God called Moses when he was 80 years of age. And he did a great work for God. His life is divided into three forties. 40 years in Egypt. 40 years there at the backside of the desert. And 40 years as a shepherd leading the people of God. It began when he was 80. Here she began to walk with God when she was 65 years of age. Now, she nor her husband knew what lay ahead. She didn't know what would be involved in walking with God and being a pilgrim. She was wandering throughout the land of Canaan for the next 62 years until the time of her death. And during that time, no doubt they had highs and lows, they had mountaintop experiences and valley experiences all through those years. That's the way it is in the Christian life. The land of Canaan is a land of hills and valleys. And that also reflects our experience as people of God. Sometimes we're down in the valley, depressed, and all is darkness. 
overcome by fear and sin. Sometimes we scale the mountaintop and are blessed of God and rejoice and get the victory and it's joyful and happy to be there in that place where God has blessed us. Maybe more than often we're down in the valley. Sometimes that's the way life is. So she walked with God about half of her life. Well, you're 65 or 60, and she died at 127. So for half of her life, she lived without God, and the other half of her life, she lived for God. I, I think of Enoch. The Bible tells us that he was a man who walked with God. But for the first 65 years of his life, he was a sinner like everybody else. Until the birth of his son, a man called Methuselah, meaning when he dies, it will come a reference to the judgment, the flood of God. Up to that point in time, Enoch never walked with God, probably never thought about God. But there was a message given to him in the birth of his son, Methuselah, when, when he dies, it will come, the judgment will come. He lived for almost a thousand years. But there was something about that message that caused Enoch to give careful consideration to the destiny of his soul. And for the next 300 years, he walked with God. There had to be a starting point. He wasted 65 years. And then for the rest of his days, he walked with God. Maybe you wasted precious time, precious years. Years you could have been enjoying the, the blessing of God and They've proved to be barren years. You've made no progress spiritually. Oh, you can begin today in the house of God by becoming a pilgrim bound for glory. So for the first 60, 65 years of her life, no God, no pilgrimage, and then something wonderful happened. God intervened and changed her life. She began in far off Ur of the Chaldees, away there in the Persian Gulf direction, miles away from the land of promise. She began as a pagan woman, the worshipper of the moon god. She was born a poor, lost sinner, just the same as anybody else. When we first meet with her, she's called Sarai, S-A-R-A-I, meaning princess. Some say that the name means Jehovah as prince. Being a woman, she was a princess. But in Genesis 17, verse 15, her name has changed to Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, meaning my princess, as some say, or a mother of nations. And the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet was added to her name. Five in the Bible is a number of grace. Remember David? When he went out to fight against Goliath, he went down to the brook. He found a few pebbles, a few stones. How many did he put into the shepherd bag? He put five. Because he was going out to fight Goliath and God was going to give him grace. He had five pebbles in his little shepherd's bag. How many did he use? Well, he only needed one, you see. Because he put it into the sling and, and they slung it. And God directed the stone right into here and Goliath fell. So we would assume then that he returned back with four stones. No, he returned back with five stones because he brought back the head of Goliath. So the point I want to emphasize is this. He went out to fight the great Goliath and God was giving him grace. And then when he came back again, he still had five stones 
God had grace in store for him for more battles that he would have to fight with the enemy. And we're told in the Bible that Goliath did have four brothers who were also giants. And we know that David and David's men overcame the giants. So the point is this, God gives grace to his people and there's always more grace for the next battle, for the next conflict. He giveth more grace. Maybe that's what you need today, the grace of God in your experience. And the grace of God can never be extinguished. That's what you need today, God's grace, God's mercy. God's divine fullness. Abraham's name was also changed from Abram to Abraham by the inclusion of that same fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. God was gracious to Sarah. God was gracious to Abraham. And I'm sure God has been gracious to many here this morning, but you need to experience it personally. Her name was changed when she was 89 years of age. Genesis 17, 1 and 15. Now, Abraham is the first man in the Bible who is conscious of a divine mission. That has to be emphasized again today. He was the first Jew. The first Jew was actually a Gentile. That seems a contradiction. The first Jew actually was a Gentile. How do I come to that conclusion? Well, Abraham came from way beyond the Ur of the Chaldees, way beyond the Euphrates. He was a Gentile. And when you come to read in Genesis chapter 14, there he is called the Hebrew. First time he's called a Hebrew. The first time the word Hebrew is in the Bible, Genesis 14 verse 15. And the Hebrew, that name means immigrant. So he was an immigrant. So the first Jew was a Gentile, called from beyond Euphrates to become the friend of God and the father of the faithful. Through grace. He became an immigrant. And then that being the case, Sarah was the first Hebrewess. And, and she became the joint fountainhead of the great Jewish race. Now Eve is the mother of us all. You understand that? But Sarah was a very important female figure in the history of the world because she became the mother of the Jewish nation. Now, only two women uh, are mentioned in that great illustrious call of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Well, Sarah is mentioned, and then you can guess who the other one was. Well, the other one is uh, Rahab, and they both lived and they both died in faith. Remember Rahab? She was told to put the scarlet thread in the window. Her house was on the wall of the city. She lowered down the scarlet thread that speaks to us of the atoning precious blood of Christ and the, the, the scarlet thread of, of precious blood runs throughout the Holy Scriptures. And when Joshua and the soldiers came and they saw the thread, they passed over that house and she was saved. She was saved by faith because she exercised faith in the promise that had been given to her by Joshua whose name means Jehovah saves and points us to Christ. He's the only saviour of sinners. Old Testament and New Testament. Jesus saves. Jesus Christ alone saves from sin. She became a pilgrim. She became a parent when she was 90. Ha! Huh. 90 years of age. And she became a mother for the first time. And since Isaac was born when she was 90, he was 37 when he died, when, when she died. 
at the time of his mother's death. So from the time in Genesis uh, 17 when God revealed to Abraham and, uh, and God in chapter 18 revealed these things unto Abraham, for 25 years they waited for the promise to be fulfilled. She was barren. She couldn't, she couldn't participate in the divine promise of the seed, you see, because she couldn't produce a child. And God had to come and open her womb and for the next 25 years she had to wait until God visited her because God had a purpose and God had a plan. Sometimes we've got to wait for God to come and to make everything clear unto us. But when he was born, Isaac, when he was born, he made the difference. Her son's name was called Isaac and Isaac means laughter. Abraham laughed when God said, you're going to have a son. I think it was a joyful laugh. In Genesis chapter 18, when God said to Sarah, you're going to become a mother, even when you're old, she laughed. It was a laugh of unbelief. So what do you think God did? God gave them a boy and told him to call his name Isaac, which means laughter. God really did give them something to laugh about, you see. This is God's grace. One laughed in joy, the other laughed in unbelief, and God came. And for the rest of their day, they were reminded of laughter. Abraham's laughter and Sarah's laughter. God never let her forget how she laughed. But God put a smile on their face. We've got to think then in the second place about the love of Sarah's life. We're told here in verse 2 that Abraham came to mourn. And these words indicate a great loss. You can imagine this old saint of God coming to bury his wife. He came to weep for her. He had a loving wife. Then a loving relationship. A lifelong companionship. These are the first tears. Although the word tear is not actually found in uh, Genesis 23. We're told that he came to weep. Well when you weep you shed tears. So really these are the first tears that we read of in the Bible. And the final mention of tears is in the book of Revelation chapter 22. And in between you see this world is a valley of tears. And then God declares in Revelation 7 and 21, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Now we don't know who loved who first in this relationship. Did Abraham fall in love with Sarah first or maybe she had as we would say, a notion of him first. I, I don't know. Nobody, nobody can tell us that. It's not written down here in the Bible. So I don't know who thought about the other first. Does it really matter? We don't know when their love began. That's a mystery. We don't know how they met. We don't know when they were married. But in God's providence, God brought them together in a most marvelous way. And Abraham proved his love for Sarah by entering into a marriage union with her. And the Lord caused that union to be fruitful in due course. It didn't happen overnight. It took all those years. It took over 25 years of waiting. But this was the purpose of God, you see. There are many things we don't know about this relationship, about their love. But there's one thing that I do know about the believer's relationship with God. 
We love him because he first loved us. His love began in eternity past. It was manifest in time. Before you were ever born, before I was ever born, believe it or not, God set his love upon us. This is what the Bible teaches me anyway. He set his love upon an undeserving people. And in Christ, and in Christ, he set his love upon us. And then in the course of time, God used circumstances, individuals, the preaching of the word to deal with my heart and my hardness, breaking down that resistance, that coldness, that indifference. Now, the Lord could have left a whole human race in sin. He would have been just. He would have been fair. No one could ever have raised a finger against God had he consigned the whole human race to a lost eternity. That would have been the just thing. But God didn't do that. Because God is rich in mercy. And instead of allowing the whole humanity to go into a lost eternity, it pleased him to save the people out of that. they deserving sinners. So if I get to heaven, I'm going to heaven because of grace. And if a man or woman ends up And hell will be because of sin. It will be because they decided to go there. It will be because they wanted to go there. And that was the course they took in life. If I go to heaven, it will be by grace and grace alone. God's matchless grace. This grace wrought upon Sarah. This grace wrought upon Abraham. But it's an amazing thing. There's a lot of controversy about these eternal issues. But I might say it because of who I am, because of some good work that I performed, or because I deserve it. Who do I think? I'm kidding. If I'm to be saved, God's got to save me. God has got to change my heart. God has, God has got to turn me around from my sinful, erroneous ways and bring me to the cross. And that's exactly what he did when he brought me to himself, so that he will get all of the praise and all of the glory. So if I get to heaven, it will be because of grace alone. And if a man goes to hell, it will be because of sin. And sin alone. Because the wages of sin is death. So the Lord proved his love for us by coming to identify with his people, by living a holy, spotless life, by going to the cruel cross of Calvary and by offering himself as a sacrifice for sin, for his people. To redeem us from going to hell. She was married to Abraham 60, 70 years. She remained faithful to him apart from the situation there with, with Hagar. Well, we mentioned that already. But it was a happy relationship apart from that situation in Genesis 16. We read more about Abraham in the Bible than we do about Sarah. Now, when you think about Abraham, he's the husband. And Sarah, she's the wife. So we take Abraham to represent Christ in the relationship. He's the groom. And then we take Sarah to represent the bride, the church. And you see, God brought them together, and because of that union, it proved to be fruitful. 
And she remained faithful to Abraham all that day. And in union with God through Christ, God can make us fruitful. And God can make us a blessing. Remember what John said when Jesus arrived. He says, I must decrease, but he must increase. There's more said about Abraham and Sarah. If we take Abraham to represent the head, there's more said about Christ and the church. Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church. She was his half-sister. Same father but different mothers. Abraham means the father of a multitude. So when the father of a multitude gets together with a woman whose name means them, the mother of nations, there's a fruitful union. And then her time is gone. The length of Sarah's life, the love of Sarah's life, and then the lesson from Sarah's life. We're told that she died in the land of Canaan. That was the place of blessing. The place of battles and conflicts. Canaan's not a picture of heaven, by the way. But it is the place of blessing. She was buried in a place called Kerjath Arba, which is the same as Hebron. Hebron is the place of fellowship. What a testimony she had. She died in the place of blessing. She died in the place of fellowship with God. And it says in Hebrews 11 that she died in faith. So Abraham knew when he came to bury his wife that she was with the Lord. Now in the Old Testament it was revealed to us about the afterlife but God's people knew that God would receive them when they died the psalmist said thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory have you got this assurance many people have died over these past number of months even though as we speak people are dying what if you were the next on the list what if really your time arrived at the end of this meeting or in the meeting itself where would you be have you got a hope of the afterlife in Christ he talks about receive me to glory Abraham laid Sarah's body to rest in sure and certain hope of a joyful resurrection unto eternal life and you know what happened when Abraham eventually did die. His sons got together, Ishmael and Isaac, and they buried him beside Sarah in the same cave, in the same uh, piece of uh, estate that they had purchased, real estate. It's not a wonderful thought. Thus in death, symbolically, they were unseparated in death. Same mind, same faith. Same hope, same expectation. I suppose if there had been a, a simple inscription placed there on the monument, I write it in her memory, it would have been, Here lies Sarah, the devoted wife of Abraham and mother of Isaac. Some of you may have heard of the uh, renowned Christian lady of the 18th century, the Countess of Huntington. When she came today, this is what she said. My work is done and I have nothing to do but to go to my father. And when Sarah came today, she said, my work is done. I have nothing to do but to go to my father. Absent from the body and present with the Lord. 
Genesis 23 doesn't spend much time really on Sarah. Her race is complete, you see, that's the point. She has gone to her reward. Instead of focusing on the dead, the Spirit of God focuses on the living, focuses on Abraham. Now's the time to live for him. Now's the time to serve him. It will be no good when you come to the grave. It will be too late when you come to the grave. Now's the time to live. So the focus is not upon what she has done, really. The focus now is on Abraham, the living, and the message she learned. There's nothing too hard for God. And the message we can learn, serve him now. It will be too late to do anything when we're in the grave. Yes, truly she was an object of divine grace. Think of the length of her life. Think about the love of her life and spiritualize that. And think about the lesson. I have only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for God will last. If you're not yet converted, may you trust him today. I've emphasized this throughout the whole course of the message. Now's the time. Seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. We'll pray. Father, we do pray that thou will bless thy word today to all those who have heard it, those who may have, who have been listening on by social media. May the word be a blessing for those who gather here in the church even now. May the Spirit take the word, apply it to their hearts consciences, their minds. May thy great name be magnified as a result of the going forth of thy word today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.